IHOP gives Christianity a bad name. They've been giving Christianity a bad name since they started. The entire foundation, the beginnings of IHOP were prophesied and set up by the Kansas City prophets. And he said that half of them were saying that the other half were false prophets and they should watch out for them. Not just that they were false prophets, you should watch out for them. I was shocked. I couldn't believe that these guys were saying that, that the victims are blackmailing IHOP. It's just amazing. Disclaimer, this episode of Churchpreneur's podcast has some sensitive information about the sexual allegations concerning Mike Bickle and IHOP or International House of Prayer that may not be suitable for younger viewers. If you have younger viewers in your area and vicinity, maybe send them out or you can have a look at this another time. Thanks for tuning in. Let's get this. My name is Richard Moore. In this podcast, I talk about everything that's moving me in relation to ministry, church, Bible study, theological understanding, and hopefully, most importantly, to empower you and your personal growth in Christ. IHOP gives Christianity a bad name. They've been giving Christianity a bad name since they started, literally since the 80s, not just because of these allegations that have come up now. They didn't just give Christianity a bad name just now by these allegations that have come up, but they've been giving Christianity a bad name since the beginning. Things like this. Mike Bickle, he believes he's a prophet and that their prayer movement will hasten the return of Jesus Christ. I've looked into him lately and his teaching more because of these allegations that came up. I knew a little bit, but but I didn't know as much. I was not as informed on IHOP and Mike Bickle and their his teaching. So I looked into his teaching more. I particularly was interested in the Remnant Radio series on the Kansas City Prophets. And Bickle himself, very, very interestingly, contradicts all the prophets' prophecies over IHOP KC and its founding by saying, he said this in the series uh, from Remnant Radio, he said that, that nine of the prophets all said of the other nine KC prophets that they should watch out for the other nine, independently of each other. <laughs> I found that shocking. So these nine over here said you should watch out for these nine over here. And these nine prophets over here said you should watch out for these nine prophets over here. City prophets said it. Interesting. And it gave the critics clout because they could say, you, you know, so and so said it. So now instead of saying so and so, it says the Kansas City prophets say. And I'll tell you this I'm not happy about this, but it's true. Most, again, of the, say the 15, five of them I probably don't even know. Ten of them I do know. Some of them lived in Kansas City, some of them didn't. Most of them were never friends. This idea that there was this camaraderie of prophets that waited on the Lord together, like Acts 13. I mean, I, I hesitate to say this. I, I don't like saying what I'm going to say next, but I want a reality check. Most of those 10 
told me personally, gave me warnings and checks about the other nine. <laughs> <laughs> Almost every one of them came and said, well, you know, he's good, but keep your eye out because, and they don't know that he told me that about him. And, he, and I was the one guy who didn't prophesy. I never told each other that. But almost every one of them at one time warned me about one or two or three of the other ones. That's comedy. The entire foundation of the beginnings of IHOP were prophesied and set up by the Kansas City prophets. And he said that half of them were saying that the other half uh, were false prophets and they should watch out for them. Not just that they were false prophets, you should watch out for them. So you must listen to a prophet if you're part of the apostolic and prophetic movement. So I will listen to them. I will take Mike Bickle's advice and listen to those, um, those nine prophets that prophesied or that said about the other nine that we should, that we should watch out for them. So I'm going to take Mike Bickle's advice, and I'm going to ignore all the Kansas City prophets because he said that they prophesied that you should watch out for the other ones and that these ones should watch out for the other ones. So um, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. I'm going to watch out for all of them and mark and avoid them because Mike Bigel told me that I should and that they themselves said that we should watch out for them. You're the president of the evangelical. I, was, I know, but one time. you got a reputation. You got years Not anymore. <laughs> Not after the series. No way. <laughs> PhD, doctorate, theology, languages, all these things. And you're going on the line telling these stories that are so hard to believe. Like I tell people all the time, if you told me the story I just told you, I wouldn't believe you, even though I like you. It just wouldn't. I, I promise I wouldn't. <laughs> I have told people, I did this from your platform a couple of years ago, and I've done it publicly. When people listen to these stories, I know your response, folks. And it, it, it comes down, basically, either they are genuinely true or Mike Bickle is a pathological liar. And he's not a pathological <laughs> man. I'm also going to avoid and mark Mike Bickle because he has claimed visions that I'm going to say are dubious at best and dangerous at worst. Very, very dangerous. I would say they lean more toward the dangerous side because he's claimed, for instance, recently even, a vision of a golden chariot of fire that came down from heaven and took him to heaven, especially of their end times prophetic movement that will hasten the day of Jesus Christ. I'm just going to tell ever so brief stories here. Two prophetic encounters, August 1984. I have a heavenly encounter. I've had one in 50 years. It was August 8th, 1984. Where I stood before the presence of the Lord, literally in heaven, but I'm standing before God. And the Lord tells me, he sternly tells me. I mean, I'm standing there awake. I'm touching my arm. I go, I got an elbow. I, go, I don't know where I'm at. I don't know what's happening. But, I mean, it was really intense. And he goes, young man, he's right here. I'd never look. He said, be patient. You'll cause great harm and much turmoil to many peoples. I don't know where I am. And I, I know who's talking, but I don't know where I am. And I don't know why I'm getting yelled at. I wasn't yelled at a bit of stern. That was volume four. And then I'm standing there just kind of trembling. And he uppers it. He goes, young man. And that's volume six. That's the exact same thing. A few moments later, I'm trembling. He says the same thing the third time. And the only thing I said is, 
yes, sir, yes, sir, yes, sir, yes, sir. That's all I could say. And then he, I'm going to skip a bunch, but he tells me to get in a chariot. And this chariot spoke of end-time ministry. And he pointed at a chariot, and an angel was there. He said, get in the chariot. And I fell down, and I cried out, no, no, no. It would be injustice for a man like me to be in a chariot like that. No. And he said, it's been ordained for you. Get in the chariot. So I got in the chariot, and then we went straight up in this vast sapphire blue expanse of the, and the, and the Spirit says, the knowledge of God. And then some other things happened. But that's that fantastic, the most dramatic experience of my life. That's August 84. I'm telling you this for a reason. And again, if you want to hear it, a little bit more, session two in 2009, prophetic history. He's claimed on more than one occasion to have traveled to heaven, receiving revelations, etc., 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 and so forth and so on. The very next month, September 84, it's in another encounter completely opposite of this. And it's related to the chariot mandate, and it's the black horse. And the black horse, which is the dragon of Revelation 12. In Revelation 12 is a dragon. And this one is a literal eight-foot chest, 15 feet wings. I mean, this Pegasus or whatever you call it. This mighty beast dragon comes flying down to me, and he strikes me with rage. He actually hits me on my knee, like breaks my kneecap nearly. I can't walk for 30 days. It's a spiritual experience, but what really happened? I mean, I'm like this. So this is what happened. I go, I kicked my horse. And I go, we thought you didn't like horses. I go, oh, just, I don't like this one for sure. And I didn't talk about it for a long time. It was the bizarrest thing. But here's what happened. Michael the archangel comes, and he speaks a sentence. If Michael the, he spoke actually two sentences. But if Michael the archangel shows up in an earthly context and says a sentence, that's powerful. And he comes, and he says, when you go to the east, the, rage, the idea is the rage of Satan and this black horse will kick you when you go to the east. What does that mean? I'm not going to go into that right now. Forty years ago, before, 39 years ago, Michael shows up when it pertains to Israel. He says, when you go to the east, you'll be struck by the rage of Satan. Guess what, guys? We're going east. Oh, my goodness. This is real. The rage of Satan. He's an accuser. He will strike. He will strike the prayer movement that's a part of this. But this was a personal thing, too, because Michael stood right before me and said these things. I don't want to explain the whole thing right now. And Isaac, Isaac Bennett, he gave me a word. He said, you won't get in, you'll get in your chariot, whatever that means. That's symbolic. I don't even know what that means. But you'll never get into that sapphire sea of blue of the knowledge of God without the black horse attacking you. He said, any more than Joseph would never get into prison in Egypt and save Israel without his family betraying him. He said, I hope that's not too intense <laughs> or something like that. I went, yeah. He has claimed visions that I'm going to say are dubious at best and dangerous at worst. In 2021, I have two powerful dreams. I share it with a few people. And in these two dreams, and the Lord says, this is going to happen. I'm not thinking of me. I'm thinking of the global body of Christ. This is going to start happening. Because it happened to David, and it happened to Jesus. And I'm thinking the global body, I mean, I'm part of it. So, yeah, me too. But I'm thinking global body of Christ. Okay, because I got this betrayal culture. I know that's coming. But this could be 10 years ago. I mean, I had, because when you get a prophetic dream, many times it's 10 years later. You don't really know. But I had, had a few people. I go, just pray about it for insight. Well, when we went to, so I was concerned and I was wondering about it. Hmm. A couple months later, because the, these two dreams were in 2021, a couple months later, some, I shared this publicly, I had the vision of the open, the open vision of the snake in my office. I've had three open visions in 50 years, meaning where I'm awake, I see it right there, is there a movie screen on the wall? I had three of them, 50 years. This snake, which is the serpent, which is the, the accuser, I'm just looking up, praying in my office like this, the lights are dim but not off, all of a sudden the snake is in the midair, I'm going, there's a snake in the midair, but it's not at all funny then, you know, it's, 
and this snake is coming towards me. And, it, and in Romans 3, the snake, the poison of asps, it's accusation. And he's that kind of thing I'm going. And, and I'm just kind of stuck. I can't even get words out. It's not, I'm not super afraid, but I, I, I'm so perplexed. I don't know. Then I say in the name of Jesus, stop. And he stops right in the air, about 10 feet away. And then he comes about three inches closer. And the name, I raise my voice in the name of Jesus, stop. He backs up an inch or two or something like that. Comes a little bit closer. I said, in the name of Jesus. I'm explaining, stop. And it backed up real slow. I was going back that way, right to the corner, coiled up and disappeared. And I had this sense of victory. And I said, oh, so there will be accusations, but there's ways they won't prevail. So I was so encouraged because of an open vision. That's when I start travailing because I'm looking at the Israel thing. And that's when the Lord makes it clear, I have a preemptive strike. You know, earlier in the news that day, they say they have a preemptive strike. I do too. From the beginning of the ages, I have a plan. And so I just start travailing and I'm just groaning. And But it's for Israel. And then the Lord makes it clear to me. He said, the betrayal is all about getting you guys all, global body Christ, out of sync. So you're not in place to be salvation for Israel, vessel of salvation. I mean, my God's salvation, but bringing them in. And so I'm writing all day long. Great zeal was on me. Like betrayal, I'm not afraid of it at all. It's like, this is a seminary of the glory of God, just like the Antichrist being raised up. And there's going to be a victorious church in John 17, unity filled with love. And we don't need to be afraid. And we need to fight for everybody to love them and to reveal the love of God to them in a supernatural context where it's only supernatural that you would love them that way. Especially of their end times prophetic movement that will hasten the day of Jesus Christ. Again, they also believe their 24-7 prayer movement will hasten the coming of Christ, meaning make it come quicker. By the way, they, they cannot claim that, that anything we would do would hasten or make Christ return earlier than he has foreordained. There are several places in Scripture where Christ says the hour and the day are set by the Father. Uh, those things are, are like in stone, really. Um, they are set by his foreknowledge. But but they take 2 Peter 3, verse 12, um, where it says, um, hasten the day to mean that we can change the time and the, and the day, make it come quicker by our prayer and our fasting and our obedience. And 24-7, they have these kids fast, they 18 years old, coming in and fast, and they and it's really quite uh, something. That word hasten there does not mean to change the time of God's foreknowledge. I looked up a, a commentary real quick just to kind of give an idea of what this means. We hasten with the utmost eagerness. We wait and we pray and we contemplate the coming of the Savior because it's at hand. The Greek uh, word here means to hasten or to urge onward, not that the eternal appointment of the time of Jesus' return is changeable, but that God appoints us as instruments of accomplishing those events which must first come before that day can come. By praying for his coming, furthering the preaching of the gospel to all nations, uh, the gospel must first be preached to all nations. Not that you can sit in your 24-hour prayer room and, and worship and pray and bring his presence down to this earth. That's what they think. And so that's not the hastening work of, of bringing back Christ. It's the preaching of the gospel to all nations. One of the third ways that this word in the Greek could be translated is to be zealous or exert oneself to an end, to some end. The Greek word, it's to to be interest, to be very interested in discharging an obligation or to be zealous to exert oneself. So we're zealous for the return of Christ, and 
To that end, we preach the gospel to all nations. We pray for his coming. We long for his coming. We, we keep our lamp lit, as it were, um, in expectation. Now, our expectation will not change his timing. He will come at his sovereign uh, predestined plan. So they are, um, I'm going to say, they're kidding themselves and thinking that, that their 24-7 prayer and fasting movement can can precipitate the Lord's return um, and, and bring it about in any way. Um, we, we just do our part by preaching the gospel and, and longing for his return. So, um, yeah, let's have a look at the timeline here. I wanted to point this, uh, this out to you. Let's whirl up the desktop one more time here. This is on uh, Church Watch Central, um, and uh, that's a great resource for anything uh, NAR anyways. And they lay out there at Church Central, Church Watch Central, the timeline of events and resources on Mike Bickle scandal and cover up. They call it a cover up. I don't necessarily know that that's happening quite yet, but uh, we see on October 20th, I think Mike Bickle preached a sermon on the Black Horse prophecy and all this other stuff. It was very weird and basically saying, "Don't touch the Lord's anointed." Before the things even came out. Then on October 21st, prophetic call to engage a three-fold pre preemptive strike. Basically, um, go for people who are um, coming after you before they get to you. It's crazy. Heaven Bent Podcast starts focusing on IHOP, taking um, the death of Bethany Deaton. That was a real sad story as well. Then came the public statement. Um, concerning allegations against Mike Bickle, signed by three former executive leadership team members. Believe this, Dwayne Roberts guy is really taking this on and going to die on this hill, he says in a tweet somewhere, I think. Then we've got uh, some other, Randy Bolander. I don't know who these guys all are, but uh, they have... Um, made some statements here as well. October 30th, Dr. Brown weighs in on Heaven Bent podcast released. And he says, this is wild, man. Um, For all those who are inspired to get involved in the houses of prayer because of the influence of IHOP KC, now is a time not to run from the house of prayer because of discouragement or disillusionment. Now is the time to run to the house of prayer. So <laughs> just, it's so crazy. Don't pause your work with IHOP. Don't not send your children there because it's a cult-like, manipulative, abusive environment. Don't say, wait a minute, son or daughter, don't go to IHOP. This is not a good idea. Um, we should wait till these things come up, come to light and they, they clean house. No, go ahead and go. Uh, Dr. Michael Brown, wow. Then the story of Gracia that I mentioned, older story of being raped, October 31st. Then initial investigations, and here are some other names put to uh, the investigation team, um, all these people. Yeah, so scrolling down, lots of stuff here. This is really a worthwhile. I don't think I can get through all this. Misty Edwards said that she was not a victim of his sexual abuse. Another person said that she was not a victim of the sexual abuse. So I don't know what's going on there. Um, April Rose, another person says she's not a victim and she doesn't have Stockholm Syndrome and stuff like this. Then Joel Richardson is this guy. He has uh, had some tweets that definitely uh, he's putting his reputation on the line, his life on the line. One podcast um, that I saw, see if it's on this list here, that I was looking at, 
had mentioned that the victims had blackmailed or, or are blackmailing IHOP by asking for due process, basically, meaning they wanted a speedy and transparent investigation. That is not blackmail. Like, I, I was shocked. I couldn't believe that these guys were saying that the, <laughs> that the victims are blackmailing IHOP. It's just amazing. The definition of blackmail is a criminal offense in which one party demands payment from another party or for benefit from someone in return for not revealing or compromising or damaging information about them. They have pictures of this, that, or the other thing, and they want a payment of a million dollars tomorrow or else these pictures will be re released. Like, I don't even... Have these guys, like, have people who make these videos watched a, a, a crime film ever? That's not blackmail. The victims asking IHOP and pressuring them to, to make a speedy investigation and a thorough and open and transparent investigation, that is not blackmail. I, I, that, that bothered me a lot. So let me see if I can find that. Here's some other videos. Church Watch Central has a lot going on here. Um, almost too much, man, to get wade through. But it is a um, really thorough investigative layout of Heaven Bent releases more podcasts. So they have two extra episodes. I've only listened to the one about Gracia and her story. Um, yeah, Michael Brown then went to uh, Forerunner Church and was invited to speak and is invited to meddle in their affairs. I don't know what, why does Michael Brown need to go and, and deal with them? What does he have to offer? Is he an investigative reporter? Is he, uh, is, does he have any police background? Does he have any experience with sexual abuse and being transparent and helping an organization uh, create transparency? No, he's going to obfuscate. He's going to say, which he did, he actually said in that sermon I watched, he said that if you have anything, if you have posted anything, take it down delete it. If you've posted anything positive or negative, delete it. <laughs> I mean, wow. That is a um, heavy hand to say to victims, basically, you're not allowed to speak. Wow. Anyways, the Roy's report, she's reported a lot of stuff as well. And then here's uh, IHOP KC addressing the allegations. These poor guys on the executive leadership team, I, I feel sorry for them. They are stuck between a rock and a hard place. They couldn't do anything correct. And he actually said this, whatever we do is going to be wrong, <laughs> except you have to report uh, sexual abuse. That, as a pastor, he's a clergy at a, one of the largest churches probably in, in Kansas City, you have got to report sexual abuse. If you became aware of any sexual abuse under your watch, in your office, in your, in your ministry of your clergy time, you are required to report it. Let's go to these things here. Scroll down. Man. Oh, here's this one. Mike Bickle is silenced. The Smith and Roland show, I just kind of stumbled across that the other day, watched it. They accused the people of blackmailing IHOP. They accused uh, the victims of a satanic attack. It's just, wow, really wow. I, I just actually wondered, instead of treating victims of sexual abuse as victims, they were turning the tables, actually, and saying, I'm going to hold it on this one. Y'all should have a go, go have a look at this. This will really get you hot if you want to be hot uh, and bothered. They, instead of treating victims of sexual abuse as victims, they turn the tables and said that they're blackmailing IHOP. It's beyond the pale. And uh, these guys... 
the Smith and Rollins show, I don't know who these guys are. They should really apologize. Apologize to their viewers um, for saying that victims of sexual abuse are satanic, working against the kingdom of God. I mean, it's really bad. And then I thought, I just asked, like, what kind of leverage for blackmail do sexual abuse victims have? None. Like, none. People who accuse these victims of blackmail have got it all wrong. Anybody else who accuses these victims of black, uh, blackmail, you're wrong. These victims are helpless, and it takes an extreme amount of courage to come forward if you've been sexually abused. How can we as Christians tolerate this? The scriptures are clear. Sexual immorality should not be tolerated in the body of Christ. But you, you people in this movement, in the apostolic and prophetic movement, you tolerate it well enough. So I have these rebukes for you from scripture. Here's one rebuke. Revelation 2.20. When, they, when uh, John the Revelator was rebuking the churches, he rebuked the church at Thyatira by saying this, but I have this against you that you tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. So Jesus Christ himself revealed himself to John the Revelator and told her that they were tolerating sexual immorality from a prophetess among them. And they should not tolerate it, and we shouldn't either. Then in 1 Corinthians 5, uh, verses 1 through 2, we know Paul the Apostle rebuked the church at Corinth, saying, it is actually reported among you, here's it being reported by lots of people, that there is sexual immorality among you and a kind that is not even tolerated among the pagans. For a man has his father's wife. We don't know that that's any, come anywhere near that in these cases. But you And you are arrogant. Ought you not rather to mourn? We should be mourning and weeping over these things. Let him who has done this be removed from among you. And then uh, some other people, I think even these guys in this podcast, said that IHOP should not even entertain anonymous accusations of sexual abuse. So if a pastor raped a woman and she was not willing to go and stand in front of him and look him in the eye face to face, would we not accept her accusation? And other women and people uh, had come forward as well, but there were a few who were intimidated and not willing to come forward. What would we do? Can you admit maybe that someone who's been raped might be intimidated by the person who raped them? Just a thought. Would it occur to you even that that person would be intimidating? And the, and the person who's been raped not want to, uh, to go forward and talk to that person face-to-face. -face. Besides all that, you're a mandated reporter. If a person comes to you and says, I have been sexually abused, and their abuse rises to the level of um, felony sex crime in any way, and you need to look that up. If you think it's a felony sex crime, you got to look it up. Is this a felony sex crime? Whatever has been reported to me by this woman or by this victim or whoever it is then you are mandated. You can't say, well, they're anonymous and I don't want them, I, I have to take them to this pastor or to, to stand them face to face and look them in the eye. No, you don't, you, you, you do not pass go, do not collect $200. You go directly to the authorities. <laughs> it just, it blows my mind.
Anyways, you are mandated reporter. You don't have to take this, uh, the, this person. If they say, I want to stay anonymous, then they are welcome to stay anonymous. You take that information to the authorities. Now, if they don't want to report it to the police, that's a different scenario. Um, and you have to work that out somehow. But you're actually mandated in some way. So you have to talk as a pastoral staff and figure out how to handle a situation where a person really does not want to say anything. But you know that they have been sexually abused. So these are different scenarios. So how will we deal with a pastor of a church who's being accused of multiple sexual improprieties? If IHOP is handling it wrong, how would we handle it? How do you handle it biblically, legally? Another apostle came out um, with his take as well on these sexual allegations. Um, Rick Joyner, uh, who's the apostle of Morningstar International, and um, he came out and he said these accusations against Bickle are all a big nothing burger. Um, yeah, that's, that's also, if you want to look on the timeline of events here uh, under Church Watch Central, you can see uh, those videos as well. He's got, he's documented it all, I think, man. So, um, yeah, it's, it's a, just a big nothing burger. I love these guys. They're, they're circling the wagons of the old boys club and uh, kind of make sure that no one, um, no one comes in and uh, challenges them. I hope this was helpful, and thanks for watching this episode of Churchpreneur's Podcast. You can find out more information at my website at richardpmore.net. Now, I also blog at richardpmore.blogspot.com. You're welcome to follow me on Twitter. My Twitter handle or my X handle is at richardpmore23. You can also email us at churchpreneurs at gmail.com. That's church and entrepreneur slammed into one word, churchpreneurs at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you. If you have any ideas for a podcast or any comments or questions, please reach out on one of those platforms. Until next time. Take care and God bless.